You're listening to Entrepreneurs Podcast. That's entre, like the Spanish word for between, pre, like our prepubescent sense of humor, and nerds, like the guys around the microphone. Speaking of guys around the microphone, I'm Daniel, the retailer. And I'm Kareem, the realtor. Entrepreneurs Podcast is a place for you to learn and discover new businesses in our area, Central Ohio, and beyond. And beyond. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Kareem, today we're going to talk a little bit about social media digital strategy. Yeah, it's very fitting. So uh, we're trying our luck at uh, Facebook Live Streaming. Yeah. Um, Coming at you live from the West Side. From the West, West, Wicked, Wicked, West. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. I think that the, the cool thing about this podcast is that we're actually talking about digital media strategy and using social media to develop an audience and to create content. And obviously, a lot of people talk about content is king or content is queen, depending on whether you're talking about the queen. The point is, is that regardless, you've got to find a way to develop content and deliver it strategically and consistently in a way that's going to engage your audience, not just sort of put things out there that are insincere or not authentic, right? You need the authenticity to be a part of it. Kareem, have you ever seen sort of um, social media strategy from other people that seem not authentic? Yes, and it's mostly the people who hire a social media manager. Mm-hmm. Um, as a realtor, part of our training or part of the sort of resources you're offered are, you know, here's how to do social media marketing and uh, tips and tricks on how to get engagement on your posts. <laughs> but it's it's really, it's a lot simpler than that. It's just giving value to your audience. Mm-hmm. If If they have something that is... Um, entertaining, interesting, or informative, then it's easy. Yeah, it uh, should add value to whatever's going on. Typically, you want to talk about something that's either in the moment, that's trending, that's clickable or shareable, and something that people are going to want to engage with or answer. And so oftentimes, you'll see people post even just a simple content on LinkedIn. Um, I saw a guy who uh, works in town at a marketing firm. One of the posts he put on LinkedIn was, the major, the biggest challenge of your startup is blank. And so then people responded in the comments with just simple engagement. That's the simplest form of engagement. It's a question and answer. Creating something like Facebook Live is a way for people to engage right now as things are happening so that they can see sort of what's going on and uh, how sort of the pudding is made, for example. Right. Um this to everybody watching on Facebook Live. This is what it uh, what it's like to record. Adam has a, a great space that is outfitted really well for recording. He records uh, bands and other musicians here, as well as obviously podcasts. And he professionally produced them afterwards, make sure that they sound clean and that we don't sound as dumb as we actually are. And right. There's a lot of editing that happens. <laughs> so if you're watching live, the, this is how the sausage is made. Right. Not only that, but we've spent two hours <laughs> trying to get something on tape. So the fact that it's happening right now is pretty amazing. And I know you think, oh, you just press go live on your Facebook feed. It must be easy. But we thought about what's the lighting look like? How do we want to organize the microphones? And then we tried to do it with a GoPro and a computer, and that didn't work out. So ultimately, it just came down to using uh, Kareem's iPhone 7. 
Right. Shout out to iPhone 6S Plus. Oh, 6S Plus. We're it's a big one. That's great. <laughs> well, um, and thank you to everybody who's uh, taking part, checking it out. Yeah. Uh, if you're posting a message for us right now, uh, I would ask you to post it in all caps because it's kind of small. <laughs> Please post it like you're screaming. Oopsies. <laughs> no, but seriously, when we talk about digital content or social media content, you have to think about your target audience. Right. So for a lot of people, they think, oh, well, my target audience is everybody. So I need to be on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Pinterest. When really there's specific channels that work for specific groups. And there's such a thing as spreading yourself out too thin. Oh, like how are you going to manage content for all of the spaces? Specifically as an entrepreneur, if you're self-employed, you can't engage customers on all of the platforms. If you do, then most of your stuff is not going to hit the way it would hit if you were customizing it to that platform, to that outlet. You know, if you're trying to reach out to people on Pinterest, there's a little bit more at play. It's kind of more of a different animal when you compare it to Twitter, for example. Well, and Pinterest seems to be something where it's designed around shareable content, and a lot of it's focused on design, photos, uh, interior design, architecture, baking, food Mm -hmm. stuff, crafty kind of things. Obviously, if you're trying to reach that kind of audience, it works out well. In fact, one of the things I remember from my days at the Container Store was that uh, number one driver of customers to the Container Store site from social media was not Facebook. It was actually from Pinterest. People saw organized spaces, organized desks, or organized closets, would click on it, and it would go straight to the Container Store website. This is before the Container Store even had a Pinterest page. So when you look at your audience, for example, I've been working with a client who has an audience that is majority over 50 years old, and his question is, well, does social media matter for my audience? Well, first of all, 71% of the people over 50 have a Facebook account in America, and so they are using Facebook. The second biggest social media platform they're using is LinkedIn, and so between LinkedIn and Facebook, you can reach a wide audience without having to figure out what your Instagram or Twitter is going to look like because these people aren't engaged on that platform anyway. And so if you can find a way to build up your presence on those pages, it's also important as well. If you don't have a LinkedIn page for your company, it's going to be a challenge for you to reach people. If on Facebook you have one review and it's a five-star review from a guy who shares the same last name as you and he didn't write anything, all he did was tag five stars, it's not really a lot of credibility. And so your social media strategy should be to develop credibility through sincere, authentic, value-added content. And Facebook Live is a version of that value-added content. It's Mm -hmm. free. It's right now. It's going out to people that have already said they like and they follow you. And I think that it's a really important component to what your strategy should look like. And uh, it looks like people are starting to watch here. Uh, 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 uh. Hey, Sue. Sue Watson. Oh, Sue's checking Container store. Sue is somebody who uh, has worked with all of us before, and uh, I've known her for, what, 15 or 16 years now. Just an incredible, amazing person. So anyway, thank you for uh, watching the Facebook Live, Sue, and everybody else is jumping on. And Heather. Heather is my uh, future mother-in-law. Wow, check that check out. out that, check that support out. Now people will stop believing you're a bum playing in somebody's <laughs> basement. So you're actually, you actually have your own podcast. Right, right, right. That's great. Well, I think that one of the other great ways to actually develop content is to create opportunities for experiential marketing. 
An example of a recent experiential marketing I noticed was Snow Day 2017. Did you guys see this advertised on your Facebooks at all? No, tell me about it. It was something in Columbus, and it was organized by a experiential marketing team here in Columbus called Matchstick. I forget exactly what they were promoting, which obviously goes to say that I didn't do a good job helping me understand what they were promoting. But it was an opportunity to everyone, like, get downtown and, like, actually have a snowball fight and... You know, obviously those people are going to take pictures of it. They're going to do Facebook Lives. They're going to put it on their Instagram stories. It's going to be uh, some sort of event that draws traction. And I was just talking to a friend of mine um, over the phone over the weekend who uh, works as a driver and sort of planning these experiential marketing events in the D.C. area. And it actually made me think of uh, an entrepreneur that I am uh, friends with here in town. His name is Matthew Grossman. And Matthew uh, actually started a company called IDEGY.com. They do experiential marketing. If you think about things as simple as maybe like a terrible towel for the Pittsburgh Steelers, like that kind of marketing, Mm -hmm. or even... um, 3D glasses that click onto your uh, cell phone that are branded. So every time you open them up, you go, oh, you know, First National Bank, whatever that is. (laughs) These are promotional materials that aren't just that, you know, squeezy stress ball that you throw away. Or that shitty pen that you never want to write with. Correct. Right. He focuses on how to target your audience, figure out what's shareable and what's going to drive business to you, not just what's some sort of giveaway. It's something very specific and uh, thought-provoking. Uh, which I think is a really big value added to a lot of clients that might just look at a catalog and say, I want a bunch of lanyards that say my name, my company on it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. But anyway, we actually are getting a chance to interview him. So we're going to have that interview tied to this podcast right after we get done talking. Right. So Kareem, is there other viral content or experiential content that you have seen recently? Do you want to go back to Casey Neistat? Well, I mean, that's that's uh, a guy sort of promoting himself, right? That's a guy who is sort of the golden child when it comes to marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, I have no idea what it is, but he's just so great at reaching a wide audience. But as far as um, Don't businesses... Don't you think it's sincerity? I mean, when he talks to the camera, there's that real authentic uh, voice that comes through that he's really talking to you. He wants you to hear what he has to say. Right. And what he has to say is interesting. And it's the quality of the content. Mm -hmm. It's not just creating for the sake of, you know, marketing. It's someone making something because they truly enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as businesses... Surprisingly, a lot of fast food chains or, you know, major chains tend to do really well on Twitter, Uh, whether it's just their social media manager, whoever's running Twitter, they tend to do a good job at engaging customers and uh, following memes and trends. Well, and recently, uh, Wendy's had a bunch of success uh, uh, basically tweeting back at some guy who said, well... If they're never frozen, how do they even get to your restaurants? Right. (laughs) They said, have you heard of something called a refrigerator? (laughs) It's a refrigerated truck. And uh, just back and forth in a way that was really cool. And the women who actually managed that social media account for uh, Wendy's were just featured on another podcast in Columbus uh, that's run by Elena Shear of Cement Marketing. So it's a really cool uh, group of women that actually run that social media account for Wendy's. I think one of the other uh, ones that I've seen recently have been simple things where, uh, what do you call them, eclipse gum, mm-hmm. like the the people that say you can eat, or Orbitz gum, you can eat Orbitz gum and it helps whiten your teeth and it's really uh, minty, fresh. They thought, who needs gum? 
we know uh, people who go to cafes and coffee houses. So they went to Israel, where everyone apparently drinks coffee all the time and cafes. And they apparently, in Israel, people love to check in at cafes and say, mm-hmm. like, I'm here and I'm right, here. Right, right. And so they took the data that was being collected by these check-ins and they would find that user and send this like mascot, this bad breath coffee mascot. (laughs) And then they would chase away the bad breath coffee mascot with this uh, big tooth and they would deliver to this person a box of Orbitz gum that was like a box of 30 packs of gum or something. And then that person who obviously was already using social media because they checked in, right? Right. That person would then share, oh my gosh, Orbitz gum sent me a bunch of gum and look at this video of these people running around. And then all of a sudden, the check-ins for the coffee houses weren't just check-ins saying, I'm here. They say, Orbitz, I'm here. Or Orbitz, I'm at this cafe. Orbitz, come and see me here. Right. They only gave out 13 of those packs, right? But because they did it enough, they ended up engaging 5 million people. Well, that's that an experience. Right. Experiential sort of guerrilla mm-hmm. marketing. It was focused. It was planned. And a lot of people think that social media is just something like, oh, I'm going to tag my friends and we're going to have a really great time and people are going to love our show. But it, it takes a lot of investment and time to make those things happen. And it takes planning and being specific. If you put all this effort into planning a video and then you don't actually put any effort into how you're going to target it, how you're going to promote it, what ads you're going to put uh, on Facebook about it or anything like that, if you don't put the back end effort into it, it's kind of worthless. Right. So as far as engagement goes, and going back to Casey, he recently tweeted a uh, a selfie with a Starbucks employee. He reached out to Starbucks saying, hey, this guy, he works in this certain Starbucks, and he's awesome, and he's a really great example of customer service, and uh, I think you guys should give him a raise, or at least an apple fritter. And they respond, oh, we'd love to treat him to an apple fritter. <laughs> it was it was awesome that he just kind of gave him an out and they just took it right away. That's amazing. Oh, well, not a raise. I mean, yeah, you an can apple have fritter. a fucking snack. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's our podcast for today. We'll link up the interview that we'll have with Matthew right after this. And he'll talk about how to create some experiential marketing using um, some pretty cool tools that his business is put together and how he sort of built that from selling t-shirts in college to where it is now. This is Daniel with Entrepreneurs Podcast, and I'm here with Matthew Grossman of Ida G. He began selling t-shirts at concerts and frat parties while in high school. And in 1994, his knack for selling and his entrepreneurial spirit combined into Ida G. 23 years later, Ida G counts Fortune 500 companies, teams from every major professional sports league, and local companies among his clients. IDG promises to fuel the fan and ignite your brand with custom strategies to generate experiential marketing and increases engagement at the right time in the best way. So Matthew, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now. Great. Well, first, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, When I was in high school, my parents, like many of us, told me to go get a job. And... uh, So I did what I knew, which was go to the local restaurant where we ate dinner quite often and ask for a busboy job. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a a job as a busboy, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, I met met a gentleman there who was a waiter, one notch above the the busboy, and uh, he too loved his job. So he came to me one day and we were talking about what else could we do instead of the busboy and the waiter job. Seems like you're sarcastic about the loving of the busboy job. (laughs) The the busboy job wasn't uh, my favorite job. It's actually the only 
first and only time I've ever worked for somebody else, which is interesting. Wow. Uh, so anyway, so he, we were talking about what else could we do, and we came up with an idea to sell T-shirts and uh, take them to local concerts. So we started with the Grateful Dead and made T-shirts and started selling uh, all around the country, really, as much as we could, and started doing local T-shirts for bars, restaurants, fraternities over at Ohio State. And that continued from high school uh, through college. Wow. So did you follow the Grateful Dead around and sell T-shirts? No, I can't say that I actually followed them around, but uh, I went to my fair share of concerts, that's for sure. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you got the entrepreneurial spirit right from the beginning. Were there any specific uh, entrepreneurs that you admire that were there at the beginning or that you saw and you said, well, I don't want to you know, work for somebody else. I want to be like them. I don't know that early on, this, certainly not in high school, uh, did I have an entrepreneur in mind. Uh, I, I do know that my inability to listen and my inability to follow direction is what uh, spurred the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, <laughs> that certainly is the reason why uh, I felt it was necessary to continue this business and uh, control my own destiny. Uh, certainly after starting the business, officially starting the business in uh, February of uh, 1995, uh, I started studying up on entrepreneurs and uh, there, there are many that are, are quite impressive. Uh, I'd say that given the fact that I dropped out of college to start the business, uh, I lean toward people like Steve Jobs mm -hmm. in terms of uh, ad admiration. Uh, locally, you grow up admiring Les Wexner, as everybody does here in Columbus, Ohio, oh, right. uh, as the CEO, a founder of, of Limited Brands. Uh, and he's, he's a, I mean, he's a remarkable individual. I've had an opportunity to listen to him speak a couple of times. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite lines uh, that I learned from him is, uh, after God, everything else is a knockoff. Well, that's a really, a, a really great thing to remember. I think that um, Les Wexner's a, a great example. You mentioned Steve Jobs. You know, John uh, Mackey, who founded Whole Foods, also didn't graduate college. You know, he had that same uh, sort of aptitude as you did, really interested in a lot of things, but not really interested in uh, doing it somebody else's way. Right. Now, for me, going to college, uh, which I did for a few years, was more of a social experiment. Yeah. And I think that, I think that John Mackey's actually said the exact same thing in his book, <laughs> Conscious Capitalism. It was sort of like, well, I know this is supposed to be fun, so let me try this out. And wow, this is kind of cool. He just ended up going to a bunch of philosophy classes and then um, founded a co-op that ended up being Whole Foods. I'll bet he went to a few more classes than I went to. <laughs> well, the important thing is uh, you learned what people connect to. And I think when a lot of people think about their business and um, think about how do they gain an audience or um, sort of how do they uh, plan for what their business is going to look like, one of the first things, one of the first hurdles they have to overcome is how much money is this going to cost to sort of build the business. So when you were starting, was there uh, a concern for how to start with capital or you didn't really have much overhead because it was just... Uh, high schooler making t-shirts. Right. Well, going back all the way to high school, uh, there was really nothing that we needed. Uh, we got deposits for our first order and then took that money and, and bought the, bought the shirts and made the, made, you know, made the screens and printed the shirts and resold them and just basically did everything out of cash flow at that point. But when, uh, it came time to actually start the business in February of 95, 
uh, I came home from college. It was my junior year. I was at the University of Arizona. And I came home and I uh, told my dad that I had some good news for him and uh, that I was dropping out of college. Oh, that's a great thing. Dads love hiring that. Yeah, especially <laughs> considering he's a divorce lawyer and probably uh, expected me to follow the same path. <laughs> but I said, uh, Dad, I have, I have better news for you. And, and he was eagerly awaiting what that would be. I said, I need to borrow $50,000. I'm starting a business. And uh, he looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, because that's insane to say, please don't spend money on my education. Please just give it to me outright. Right. Well, so he said, uh, he said, Matthew, give me one good reason why I should loan you $50,000. And I looked at him and I said, because rehab will be more expensive. <laughs> and to this day, I'm not sure if I was serious or if I was joking, but I did know that that would uh, hopefully get me where I wanted to go. And uh, having supportive parents like my mom and my dad uh, is the only reason why I could do what I did. My dad, the next morning, said, I spoke to your mother, who no doubt is the reason why uh, he said yes, uh, because she said I would be a rising star, the next Les Wexner, <laughs> uh, like all good mothers do. And uh, as I said, the next day, he said, he said yes. And I flew back to Arizona and I packed up all my stuff during winter break and I drove home and never looked back. That's amazing. Did your father ask for specific terms for his uh, loan? Was there an equity play he was working on? So originally it was, uh, the $50,000 loan was at prime minus a half a point, which is what he was able to get at the time. So he didn't want to make anything off the actual loan. Uh, there were no terms for uh, how long to pay him back. I don't think he expected to be paid back, which is why he didn't come up with terms for when to get paid. Um, but uh, he did take a, initially a 10% interest in the business, which uh, he was repaid within three years. His 10% interest uh, got him a pretty hefty return. Uh, I bought him out in February of 02, I believe, is when it officially uh, became solely mine. Wow, that's uh, unbelievable. Well, I mean, obviously he and your mother were super proud of how their amazing decision to fund their son. <laughs> I think it took a few years uh, of, uh, of stress and you know, starting a business and working 20 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, still going over to your parents' house for food and uh, laundry, trying to survive mm -hmm. uh, those early years is, is not easy as an entrepreneur, as you can imagine and as you well know. Right. I love that origin story of Ida G. When I look around the office, and I'm gonna be posting some of these pictures on the blog as well as on the Instagram page, I think that some of the things that I notice are, it kind of feels like a bunch of stuff that you look at as a kid, like the sports stars or the music, uh, you'd mentioned like following the concerts around. Um, and it seems like a lot of the stuff you might've been interested in as a kid continues to follow you and why you're passionate about what you do. Cause this is a lot of fun to kind of play around with brands and come up with ways that people are gonna engage with their team or their favorite fan base. Oh yeah, there's no question. Uh, what we deal with every day is fun. Uh, we have to constantly remind ourselves of that, but when we're doing t-shirts for a Taylor Swift activation or we're doing uh, you know, a game day giveaway for the Tennessee Titans or the Green Bay Packers, 
those items are going to people that are genuinely excited and appreciative to receive them. As you know, people will line up around the block for a free T-shirt. Yes. So uh, you know, we have to remind ourselves that you know we're not we're not curing cancer, but we're helping people that do. Mm-hmm. And the product that we we give them uh, should put a smile on their face, and it should do the same for us as well. I love that in the podcast or leading up to this interview, one of the things we talked about regarding social media content is creating these experiential opportunities for people to engage with your brand. And I think when I think of the stuff that Ida G does, it definitely reflects that as a company that people are excited to hold this thing in their hands or play with this thing, uh, whether it's a uh, giveaway at the Tennessee Titans or that T-shirt or a Zamboni plush toy, which I saw on there. Absolutely. Like those are things that are really cool that you don't see every day. Do you specifically seek out those products that um, you might not be able to find other places or what does your relationship with your client look like when they say, hey, we want to do something that's going to get people really excited? What does that conversation look like? Well, we, we start with asking a lot of questions, uh, trying to find out what their goals and objectives are for whatever the project is they're, they're talking about. Uh, what are the demographics for who will receive the items? When is it going to be used, et cetera? At that point, we, we go to work. We get creative. Uh, IDG stands for Ideas Plus Strategy. So our goal is to, to come up with those creative ideas that help move the needle, uh, solve real business problems. That's great. And it's, uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of business. No, there are millions of products out there, and, and we not only can customize all of those, but we can also you know, create our own. Um, I'm curious to know what your first call overseas sounded like as somebody starting this business up. You're like, oh, I'm just going to call China today and figure out how to get these products made. Yeah, uh, luckily I had uh, met a gentleman out of Chicago uh, originally, to utilize for our overseas production. And I was able to learn from him how overseas production works, uh, was able to go to China, tour the trade shows, uh, go to the different factories and really see it and, and learn from him. Uh, when, we, when we got larger, we no longer needed uh, a middleman in the, you know, to, to take a percentage. It was just not gonna work. Right. Uh, so at, at that point, I was already trained enough to be able to go over there myself. And in 1997, uh, started going over to China and uh, learning learning a whole new way of doing business, that's for sure. Yeah, I, uh, I've heard a lot of people with similar stories like that. But you mentioned that uh, person early on that you connected with, and I think that a lot of your success in business is based on the people you surround yourself with whether it's uh, the mentors you put in your life, the coaches you have, or the talent that you surround yourself with. So have you specifically found success and how have you figured out to best surround yourself and retain that talent that you need to sort of grow? I think what's important for us uh, is that we hire based on a certain value system. And in order for somebody to be truly successful at Ida G, they have to uh, deliver excellence, they have to be all in. They have to work hard, play hard. They have to play like a team. They have to choose positive, and they have to be creative. And when you hire people based on that, uh, that philosophy, those values, uh, it, it tends to work and it meshes well. Can you repeat those again? Uh, deliver excellence, be all in, work hard, play hard, play like a team, 
choose positive, and be creative. Love that. And one of the things that, that we do uh, very well is we hire slowly and we fire quickly. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that uh, one of the things that I have coached other small businesses on who, as they're growing is that they really need to take uh, a much better approach to who they hire and why and make sure that there's a little bit of sweat equity into every hire. You know, give no them question. a task. Say, okay, why don't you email me an answer to these questions? Sure. And sort of thin the herd a little bit. Okay, do a little research on my business and tell me how you would help me accomplish this task. Yeah, we take a lot of time to ask questions. Uh, we also take a lot of time to answer questions. What we want people to do is come to the table with a lot of questions about our business and what the job responsibilities are and who the people are that they'd be working with every day. Uh, this is certainly a marriage of sorts, and it's important that it's not just one-sided, that we don't just interview people and say, yes, you're the one, or no, you're the not the one, but that we actually uh, develop a relationship with the candidates and that they, too, feel like it's the right fit for them. And when you do that, you end up hiring uh, a better crop of people that, that are aligned. And, but at the end of the day, it's, it's still a crapshoot sometimes. Yeah, well, you, you can't control for everything. No. I think sometimes uh, people tend to hire outside versus internally promote because the internal promotion tends to have a lot of known variables and known growth opportunities, whereas the person outside can interview really great and you have no idea what those things are that they need to work on. And I wonder what your philosophy is toward of identifying those internal uh, opportunities and how do you focus on promoting from within to show people there's a path to increase their responsibility and accountability? Sure. Well, I think I made a lot of mistakes early on, and uh, luckily I learned from them. Uh, early on, we would hire from the outside and keep everybody in their existing role because it was working. And we were afraid to make somebody, uh, you know, advance somebody necessarily into a new job that maybe we weren't positive if it, if it would work. So we would go out and we would hire the best person that we could find in XYZ position. And uh, what, what I soon realized is that that's a terrible way to build culture and decided that it would be much better to train the people that you have currently, uh, help them advance to the next level, uh, grow as individuals, grow as professionals, and uh, ultimately uh, everybody's, I think, uh, happier in the end. I think that uh, it's great to learn from those opportunities when you have that moment and you go, well, and do you think it was somebody specifically saying, hey, how come people get, keep getting hired from outside and I've been here for three years? That's a great question. Um, no, it wasn't one specific instance. It was, it was taking a step back during difficult times mm -hmm. and looking at the people that you had uh, in place and really asking yourself, you know, who, who is invaluable because we're going to have to make some cuts uh, after the dot-com burst or 9-11 or happened. Uh, we had no, no choice but to cut down on the number of people that we had. Uh, revenue was going out the back door and, and we had to adjust. It was, it was awful. It's the worst thing you can do as an owner uh, or manager is, is let somebody go. But it's at that point where you look around and you, you try to figure out who do you need to be here. And uh, a lot of those people that were with you from the beginning are the ones that 
you realize those are the ones that really truly care about the company, care about the culture, and will do whatever it takes, sacrifice whatever uh, needs sacrificed uh, in order to survive. And a lot of the people that we brought in from the outside, they weren't as, they didn't drink the Kool-Aid necessarily. And so they, they were the first ones to cause problems or uh, jump ship if, if there were difficulties. And, uh, you know, we certainly went through a lot of turmoil uh, at different times, and, but, you know, can honestly say that we are significantly better today than we were uh, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. That's great. I think it's a testament to what you've built in that culture that was there that you can say that you went through that dot-com burst and the Great Recession and you came out and you're um, now better positioned than ever. Yeah, I forgot about the Great Recession. So, <laughs> yeah, we've been through quite a few things that, that have been thrown our way that... Uh, I'm sure one of the first things people, corporations thought was like, I know what we can do without that T-shirt promotion or... Yeah. That event we were going to schedule where we were going to give away this, uh, I guess we don't need Matt's business right now. Yeah, that's true. One of the things, though, that uh, separated us is our, again, our name, Ideas Plus Strategy. And when you're bringing solutions to the table, uh, companies tend to stick with you. Their budgets might be cut, but they're not necessarily getting rid of you. They might have had three people that they were buying from and they got rid of the other two companies, but they kept us because we were actually solving business problems and they could rely on us. And, you know, don't forget, they were also going through tough times. They were letting people go and they needed partners such as IdaG to rely upon. And we took it, our job very seriously and in many times uh, sat in on their internal departmental meetings and helped them and taught them, you know, a lot of what we were doing for the people maybe that are no longer there. Uh, so during, during a, a recession, I believe that you can outsell a recession. Uh, while your current customers may be cutting budgets, there's still, I mean, millions of buyers out there that are not using IdaG. Mm -hmm. And we've focused on taking care of our current customers and adding as many new customers as possible. Yeah, and I think that uh, you have that angle where if somebody said, well, I don't think we need to have this uh, T-shirt promotion, you can say, well, if you're just looking at it as, as a free T-shirt, then you definitely don't need it. Don't spend the money on it. Right. But if you're looking at this as an opportunity to engage with your audience, here's the research that we have on your target audience, on what they react to, how many impressions it's going to have, and what it's going to do for your business. So the question is, well said. can you do without these sales, not can you do without this expense? There's no question. That's uh, you should join us. Yeah, <laughs> let me know if you have a job opportunity. We'll talk. Um, so, speaking of those pain points in your history, is there a pain point right now in your business that you're working on that you're trying to work through, or that you still have as that unsolved problem? I don't think there's an unsolved problem. Uh, what I think is most challenging is keeping people inspired, making sure that they don't let down their guard. Making sure that just because you've had a successful run, uh, it doesn't mean that tomorrow is gonna be the same. And that you constantly, constantly have to focus on those, those activities that got you there. And you can't stop doing uh, all of that. And when you take your eye off the ball, and uh, you know a lot of these things you've heard before, but when you take your eye off the ball, 
somebody is there. There's another Matthew Grossman who just dropped out of college who is willing to stay all day, all night, outwork us, out hustle us, uh, come up with creative ideas and, and take away market share. There's always somebody willing to do that and you have to protect what you've got. And keeping people uh, focused and inspired is, is always the most critical thing. Uh, and that's where our culture and our vision uh, that we talked about uh, comes in handy. And uh, ultimately it's, you know, we, like I said, we, we hired slowly and we, we would fire quickly. And everybody that we have is, has finally drank the Kool-Aid and, and is totally focused on, on one thing and that's, and that's growth. I think that uh, what you touched on there with um, sort of talking through inspiring people and then going back to that philosophy of hire slowly and fire quickly, I think despite what most people think, when you say fire quickly, some people think, oh my gosh, if people are being fired to the left and right of me, I'm going to be uninspired. Oh, yeah, But no. I would say, in my experience, typically the person to the left and right of me are not working as hard as I am. Right. And when I see the correct people leaving the business that makes sense for me, it makes sense for the business, I trust the culture and trust the leadership that much more. Sure. When we, because we hire slowly, uh, we don't have to oftentimes fire. Right. Uh, our people are bought in from the beginning. Uh, we hired the right people. And sure, some things always, you know, get missed. And, and also sometimes people join us and, and maybe they weren't quite prepared for the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, and they were used to maybe a big corporation and, and some people have left uh, in the past. But we have uh, extraordinarily low turnover. Uh, and that's something that I pride myself on. Uh, I'm pretty confident to say that everybody here uh, likes, if not loves, working here. That it's a, a great environment, that they feel like they... Uh, are truly inspired and that they can do great work every day and, and that people will let them do their job. Uh, one of the things that I learned uh, a long time ago, again, by, by making mistakes, is I've learned that you do have to let people do their job. If you're going to micromanage, that's just not going to work. Uh, it might work up to uh, uh, you know, $1 million, but it's not going to work up to five. It's certainly not going to work up to 10 and beyond. Yeah, I think that that's an important thing. And also knowing when to let go as um, as the owner of a business. One of the things, I talked to Ryan Vessler at one point about what was one of the hard things he had to let go of early on in his business. And his answer was social media because he loves it. He loved engaging with his audience. He loved talking to everybody on Twitter and Facebook and connecting with people. But he realized he couldn't be the one. He couldn't, right. he he had to trust that somebody else could do it as good, if not a better job than he was doing for him to really grow and focus on the things his business needed him to focus on. Yeah, I think that for me, uh, it, early on, I was trying to handle the entire process. So from selling uh, the T-shirt all the way to making the T-shirt. And I was doing the sales in the morning. I was doing production at night. I was... Uh, barely sleeping and it was step and repeat and what I realized is uh, you can hire people to do specific parts of the job that would allow you to focus your time and energy on the those tasks that will truly move the needle uh, and for me it was being out there uh, in front of clients in front of prospects and spreading the word and uh, helping grow the business on the front end and stop putting 
my stamp on everything on the back end because uh, ultimately it, it wasn't sustainable as a business. We could have we could have grown uh, reasonably, but we certainly would not have achieved the the level of success that we've achieved if I tried to do it all myself. Yeah, great great lesson to learn as early as possible. So. With 23 years into this business, what would your advice be to an aspiring entrepreneur? I would say don't wait until your idea or your product is 100% ready. Um, just move, run, sprint. Do whatever it takes to get your idea or your product out there as quickly as possible. And don't let the naysayers stand in your way. Uh, I do believe in gathering information. I believe in... Uh, talking to people that have been there uh, and done that. But at the same time, you have to follow your gut and your true convictions uh, for what you want your business to be. And sometimes, uh, you know, I learned firsthand, sometimes people will look at you like you're absolutely crazy. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, my parents even thought about the business that I was entering and said, you know, we we as a country don't need just another t-shirt guy. And, uh, you know, luckily for me, they were supportive from the beginning and they didn't really even plant the seed in my head that I couldn't do it to them. Uh, and for me, it was, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go. Uh, this is how I'm going to do it. And along the way, I'm going to make changes when I make mistakes. Uh, and again, I've always been somebody who, focuses entirely on what I control. Anything outside of my control, I try to ignore as much as possible. And we teach our people that uh, here to this day, we constantly talk about that. And a new entrepreneur, uh, I think, needs to follow that advice, is you know, focus on only the activities that you control and ignore the rest. Yeah, you can't control the stock market crashed 10,000 points, but you can sell your way out of it. There's no question that is correct. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, also, when you talk about uh, just another t-shirt company, it made me think of the difference between your business, Ryan's business at Homage, and then like uh, Bert Jacobs' business with Life is Good. All three of you sold t-shirts in college. You know, Bert and his brother John sold them, uh, you know, college campus to college campus out of the back of a van. And uh, Ryan sold his a lot on eBay to begin with, with these vintage T-shirts. And the key is to find your niche. What's the reason people should care about you versus anybody else? And for Life is Good, it was this sort of way of life. And um, on top of all of that, we they made really high-quality T-shirts that felt really great. For yours, it was connecting people to the image of the graphic and connecting them to a bigger element. And then taking that a little further to not be just about t-shirts, but to be right. about the how to market ideas and strategy around the brand with any product. Everything we do is based on uh, branded merchandise. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what the product is. What we're trying to do is make brands come to life, whether it's a sports team or a, a corporation. How can we come up with a, a, a branded piece of merchandise that will engage the fan uh, the end consumer, whoever it may be, how can we make that brand come to life? And that's what we focus on. And it's it's a business to business play, but it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun to to focus on that and to see the look on your client's face when 
uh, there's a successful promotion. It drives traffic, and everybody's happy. And there's nowadays, that, you know, they're they're tweeting about the item that they just got and how much they love it and uh, how thankful they are uh, to that brand uh, is is remarkable. We don't need the publicity uh, from an IDG perspective. We just want our client to get the publicity and know that we played a small role in that success. Some of my favorite pictures of you on social media is when you're at those games with the promotion that IDG worked on. And because the look on your face, I don't know whether you're just excited to be at the event or you're like pumped to see, you know, 30,000 people holding your stuff and like freaking out about it. Um, but there's so much authenticity and sincerity in those photos that I think when people see it, they're really excited. Your friends are obviously excited for you that you're at that game and usually you have a pretty good seat. <laughs> but, but also... <laughs> the, per the perks of the job. Yes, but also that you're swimming in a sea of people pumped about what you just did for them. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to go to a game especially and see uh, 80,000 rally towels. Uh, it's great to be able to take my family and my friends uh, to a game like that and, and let them experience the, the product that we produced. And, uh, you know, they don't know all the blood, sweat, and tears that went into making that rally towel sometimes, but uh, they get to see the end result, which is uh, thankfully, knock on wood, thankfully uh, has gone very well more often than not. That's great. So as much as you love this business, the last question we typically ask is, if you were offered the magic dollar amount, whatever that is, to sell your business, what would be the next business you would start and why? Wow. Um, you know, I can't imagine another business for 22 years, you know, since I was actually longer than that, since I was 17 years old, uh, I've been in the branded merchandise business and I just love it. Yeah. So in terms of another business, uh, it would have to be something I was completely passionate about uh, where I could add value. Um, but at this point, we're going to stay focused on I to G and focus on things that we control. Yeah, right. And, uh, and have a lot of fun doing it because it is a fun business. But right now, I, I can't even think of another, another business. Well, that's great. Very, um, you know, political answer, <laughs> hedging, but uh, appreciate that, Matthew. And so excited to be able to sit here and uh, chat with you and uh, share your business with a lot of people in Columbus that may not even know you exist um, because they're not a corporation that needs branded right. merchandise and they don't see your logo on the stuff that they love. They just love it. Well, and that's, that's by design. Uh, probably in 2002, I realized that getting publicity wasn't necessarily going to get me to where I want to go. And that what we needed to focus on was uh, getting in front of those, those core buyers at certain corporations or sports teams or leagues. And uh, as long as they know who you are and you do great work for them, you'll be successful. And uh, I think it was a lot of ego early on and making sure that people knew my name, uh, saw the fact that I, you know, won Ohio Entrepreneur of the Year in 2000. That's a plug. Wow, uh, Ohio Entrepreneur um, in 2000? Yes. And uh, I believe 2000. It was either that or 2001. But, but those awards were great early on. Uh, but I realized pretty quickly that that's not necessarily the most important. It felt good, but it wasn't the most important. And made a concerted effort uh, after 9-11 to focus on 
not Matthew Grossman, but Ida G and, and what we do and, and how we do it. And uh, it's been a great ride ever since. That's awesome. Well, thank you for what you do for the community, for your employees, and for obviously the fans of all your teams and companies and brands you represent. Uh, it's definitely something that people appreciate. So thank you, Matthew. Well, I appreciate you having me. And um, this was Daniel, the retailer, and you've been listening to Entrepreneur's Podcast. Thank you, Daniel. And thanks to Adam, the producer. This has been Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Daniel, the retailer. And I am Kareem, the realtor. And you are our Facebook <laughs> audience. Hi. Thank, if you watch the whole thing, thank you. <laughs> right. There's only one person who watched the whole thing, and that is Rue's mom. Oh, God bless her. I love you. <laughs> Feel free to turn it off now. <laughs>